Are you ready? Over our 24-hour Saturate the Saints Ray where prayer and scripture reading, I had a whole nother, a whole nother message. And God gave me this about 1, 2, or 3 o'clock in the morning the other morning. Can I tell you at about 10.30, not to say, but about 10.30 at night the other night, from 10.30 to 1 o'clock in the morning, you want to know what this place was filled with? Like I asked people to sign up for 30-minute slots. If ever anybody came in those 30 minutes, I wasn't going to turn them away. You come in here and you prayed with them. But at 10.30 the other night, there was at least 15 or 16 people in this sanctuary. Half of them were young people praying and crying out to God for a move of God. So if you didn't sign up and if you didn't make it, shame on you. I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. Because like I said, there was nobody that didn't come in here that didn't experience a move of God over them, over them 24 hours or 30 and a half hours it wound up being. Nobody did not come away experience. If I ask people to stand up and testify right now, mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Lord, we praise you, Jesus. This, this actually come from a thought from another good friend, pastor of mine, and then the Lord was speaking to me on it the other morning. 2 Kings chapter 4. I urge you to invite anybody because I really believe that if it's salvation, if it's healing, God is here to do that. God is here to do that and perform and show in these last days what he is capable of doing. But he's not going to show it to everybody because everybody's not seeking him. It's only going to come to the churches and body of believers and congregations that are seeking after him where he is going to start showing himself and revivals are going to take out and break out in these last days. This is where it's going to happen at, seeking God. 2 Kings chapter 4 says, Now there cried a certain woman. And I will stop right there. Now there cried a certain woman. A certain woman. Not just some woman. Not just any woman. But this was a certain woman. What that tells me is you're not here by accident. You are not a accident. You have a purpose. And you have a destiny that God has called you to be in. And to walk out and to live in. This certain woman right here was no accident that she was that certain woman at that time. Jeremiah 1 and 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So you are a certain person in this place tonight. You are a certain woman. You are a certain young person. You are a certain man. You are certain to him in this place you are not an accident. You have purpose. I don't care what the devil or the world or even the church people has told you. You are a certain purpose person and you have a certain purpose. And God knew you before you was formed in your mother's womb. And he said, I set you apart for a destiny, for a future, for something powerful in me. You're not just anybody. You are a certain somebody to God. In the beginning, God created man in his image. You were, created by God, you were created by God for God to have a relationship with Him. 
What happened to you and what happened to me is, is that we, everyone, lose our way. Just the sin that separates us. And we try to fill a God hole inside of us with the world stuff. Because this is flesh. And that's what it was. Adam and Eve were not just anybody. They were certain men and women that God took and, and took the dust of the earth and formed man in his image and breathed life into him. And he came to life. And then he took a rib out of Adam and made him a woman, a helpmate to go with him and be beside him. But what happened is they gave away. They give way to a temptation. They give way to a worldly desire of, to have the power that Satan tempted them with. But they were certain people. And why were they were created was they were created to have a certain relationship with God. The garden, it all started there with the serpent and the devil. Why was the devil even there? Because he was worried about what was on the inside of Adam and Eve. That's what he was worried about. He seen God create them. And he knew why God created them, certain people to have the relationship with him so he could have somebody to come down to and talk to in the morning times and have that relationship with them. Satan knew that, so what he was after was what was on the inside of them at that point. And that what was on the inside was that relationship with God. So it's what's on the inside that counts. It's what's on the inside that counts connection, the relationship to a higher power, a God that could not, that, that, that could never go, that you could never go. God could always find you. So Satan wants what is on the inside. And man and woman, because he knows it brings forth, if he can get in there and get that out of there and get the world in there and the sin in there, he knows it brings forth death physically and also spiritually. Amen? God created every person with a specific person. Psalms 139 and 13 says, You were formed, you were, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden. From you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, he made you. You are that certain purpose. You are that certain person. Your frame, it says, was not hidden from him while he made you in secret. He made you in secret so the devil could not get to you because he knows what's on the inside of you. But when you are coming to this world, the devil has one purpose, and that's to get inside of you because it's the inside that counts. Now this certain woman in 2 Kings here, what has happened is her husband has passed away. And if you go and you study this out, some people say in the book of Josephus also that her husband was Obadiah. Obadiah was the governor to Ahab and Jezebel. Obadiah is the one who hid the hundreds hundred prophets in a cave and fed them when Jezebel was trying to kill the prophets. It was Obadiah that took them and hid them. And it's, it's like I said, the studies here say that Obadiah borrowed money to do that from the king, from Jezebel, from Ahab, and them to hide and feed the prophets in the cave at this time. So this certain woman was Obadiah's wife. Somebody who feared God. Somebody who, who took care of the prophets when they were in trouble. But Obadiah has died. 
And now she falls upon the creditors coming to her. That, that, that story's in 1 Kings where Obadiah is in there. Younger, and we find here that they're about to take her sons away because, and to be slaves because it's believed that her sons was too young at that point to work. So she had no way. She had no way to provide. She had no way to, to pay off the creditors. So what was going to happen was the creditors was going to come and take her sons away because the father had died. When the fathers died, if they didn't have a son even to leave in the inheritance too, it all went away. The woman had nothing. And her kids weren't old enough to work. But, so they were going into slavery now. And we see this. And we go. And we ask, and Elijah said to her in verse 2, What shall I do for thee? What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And he said, Thy handmaid hath nothing in the house save a pot of oil. So Elijah asked her, What do you have in the house? And she says, I have nothing in the house. It's all what's on the inside that counts. We can go back to, to, uh, to, to the story in Exodus, or Ezekiel 37, where there's a story where Ezekiel steps out to prophesy, and the Lord asks him, what do you see? He says, I see a valley full of dry bones. And the Bible says they were very dry. But what I want to know, that to me what that means when he says they're very dry, that it means there's still something on the inside that God was not through with. You could have went through some things. You could be laying in a valley tonight covered up by past mistakes, covered up by the things you have chosen in this world, covered up by relationships, covered up by all kinds of things, jobs, uh, a death in your family, work, whatever it may be. And the piles of this world has just collected and poured on top of you and poured on top of you and you're dry and you're dry. But guess what? These bones had been laying there a long time, but there was still something on the inside of them. It didn't say these bones were completely dry, Brother Tim. It didn't say that they had no purpose. It didn't say they didn't have no destiny. It said they were still something there inside of them that God could still work. I'm telling you here tonight, it's what's on the inside right now. There's still something on the inside of you, of some of you, that you feel like you're laying in a very, very low place in a valley. And the weight of this world has just come down up onto you. But what you have to do is you have to stand up. And he asked the question, can these bones live again? And he answered, only you know God. He said, then prophesy. Prophesy to these bones. You have to stand up in your situation and reach inside of you and start to speak life out of you. Start to speak truth out of you. Start to speak the scriptures out of you. Start to speak the word out of you. Because God knows what's inside of you is a mighty army. God knows what's inside of you. If you can just reach down and grab your sword one more time, that you can go forth and you can go out into this world and you don't have to live like you're living. Even if you're in a dry spot this morning or this evening, there's still something on the inside that counts. There's still something there that God can work with. Luke 5 and 17, I mentioned this last Sunday morning. All the governors and all the scribes and all the Pharisees had come into to Peter's mother-in-law's house, let's believe. And they were all packed in and, and Jesus is inside the house. It's what's on the inside that counts. Jesus is in there inside the house with a bunch of religious 
Pharisees, and y'all have heard me preach on Pharisees and scribes and all that, so you know who they are. You know they are a bunch of hypocrites. Because that's what Jesus, that's what he called them himself. And he's in the middle. Lord, some of y'all probably done heard this. You're going to hear it again tonight. He's in the middle. What do I see there? He's in the middle of the church. He can't do no work. But Luke 5 and 17 said the power was there to heal them all. It was there to heal the lawyer, the Pharisee, the scribe. It was there to heal every religious person in there. But they would not accept what was on the inside of the house. They just wanted to sit there and accuse and point a finger and look at somebody and, and try to catch him in some action or something. Church, is time that we get out of that mentality of pointing fingers at your brothers and sisters and trying to put them down. It's time we get out of the mentality that we come to church and we're just a bunch of religious people because God is on, Jesus is on the inside, but he can't do nothing. And then these four friends get their buddy who was paralyzed. Put him on, put him, put him on the, the mat and carry him because they knew what was on the inside of the house. They knew if I could get to the inside of the house, my buddy will be healed because it's what's on the inside that matters. And when they get their buddy there, you, got to, you can't make excuses like I said before. It's you cannot make excuses. They could have turned around when they got to the door and said there's too many people in there. We can't make it. We can't do anything. Let's just go home. And that's what a lot of church people do right now. Find an excuse for everything. Why somebody's life is in your hand and you don't even know it. God picked you out to, to witness to somebody. But because of your excuse, you turned away and took them back into the world. Mm -mm. God uses people in case you don't know that. He uses us. To deliver the gospel. He uses us to speak life into somebody. And we use excuses, excuse after excuse after excuse. But I'm glad these four boys did not give up and said we've got to get to what's on the inside of this house. And that's the way we got to be. We cannot give up and give excuses. If it means climbing up and tearing the roof off and lowering him down, that's what we got to do. You got to find a way to make a way to get to the inside. What would you do? What would you do? There's something that's on the inside of us, even, that wants to cry out to Jesus. We were made that way. Like I said, we were made for relationship. We were made to cry out and to long for Him and to worship Him and to have relationships with Him. We were made to do that. Mark 10, 47 through 52. There's a story here. Jesus is going to Jericho. And there was a guy that everybody has been in church anytime those have heard about. A blind man called Blind Barnabas. And Jesus is on his way walking down the highway going into Jericho. And Blind Barnabas hears that Jesus is coming by. And then something on the inside of him makes him start crying out. Because he knew that if he could cry out to Jesus, that Jesus would touch him. He knew as long as he kept crying, what was on the inside had to come out and cry for him. But what you may not know about blind Barnabas is this. Is his son, his, his, his name, the first part in the Hebrew is bar, that means son. And the last part of his name, Timaeus, means poverty. His name meant son of poverty. Not only was he blind, 
but he was son of poverty. That could be you tonight. You're getting beat up on every side. Not only are you blinded, but you're in a situation that you're in, and poverty has stricken you. And as he cried out of his state on the side of the road, everyone else told him to be quiet and be quiet and quit crying out to Jesus. The same as the boys that was taking their buddy to get to Jesus that tore off the house. They'd done anything they could do to get to what was on the inside. The same here with blind Bartimaeus, the son of poverty, blind. He was going to do anything he could because something on the inside of him knew that if he could get to Jesus, that Jesus was going to touch him. But what will you do to get there? All the Pharisees said, told the disciples, rebuke him and shut him up. All the church people want to shut people up sometimes because it ain't going like we want it to go. They're not singing the song that we want to sing, so I wish they would just be quiet up there. They're going too long. They're, they're singing too long. I just wish they would be quiet up there. I wish, I wish we, that, that when, when, when Sister Jimerson, my man, cries out up here, I wish she would just be quiet and wouldn't cry out. I wish that that wouldn't happen. I wish that when, when Erica cried out over here that it wouldn't happen. I just, I just wish they would be quiet. Can I tell you what you don't know? Apparently, you don't know this, that there's something on the inside of them that, that cries out to Jesus that says, I know where you've brought me from, and I, everything that was within me, I will cry out to you because I know when I cry out, you will hear what I have to say. But the religious people just say, would you please make them be quiet? No, I won't make them be quiet. You didn't walk in their shoes. Maybe you had a silver spoon in your mouth your whole life. Maybe you didn't have to go through, through things that they went through. Maybe you didn't have to go through drugs and alcohol, broken homes, beatingness, whatever it may be. You never had to go through that, so you don't know what's inside of them that makes them cry out to a king and a Jesus that loved them through all of that. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus, and you will start crying out. And you will start worshiping. Blind Barnabas here, the son of poverty, he kept crying out. And you know what he was crying out? Jesus, Barnabas, son of poverty, he cried out, Jesus, son of David. Barnabas, the blind Barnabas, son son of poverty, was crying out, Jesus, son of David. He knew his state. He knew he was sitting there. He knew that he was the son of poverty. He knew that he was blind. But he chose to say, Jesus, son of David. Because that's the one I've heard. When I sit outside the synagogue and they teach in the Old Testament the prophecies of the Messiah coming. And he was going to come be the son of David. And he was going to take his throne and sit on his kingdom. That's who he knew that was coming by was the king of kings. So he called him Jesus, son of David. I'm the son of poverty. But let me show you to the son of David, the Jesus, the king of kings, the Messiah, the one who sits on the throne. The one, if I cry out to him, will answer me. And so he kept crying out. And it says, Jesus stood still. Want to know what your cry that comes out of the inside of you? You want to know what it does? Stops him in his tracks. It stops him right there. While everybody else is saying, be quiet. 
We're talking about religious. We're talking about high up, the Pharisees, that probably could have took these people and had them stoned and took them out and thrown them out of the city. That they could have took the, the garment. We'll get there. Barnabas, we'll, we'll go ahead and go there. He had a garment on, it says. Do you know this? That it wasn't just some garment. The people of the city of Jericho actually provided the beggars, the ones who were in real poverty, provided them with the specific piece of clothing to wear to point out this guy is really who he says he is. He is in need. It wasn't just something. The city had done identified him and put their garment on him. Said this is a beggar. This is somebody who is the son of poverty. Is sitting here in his state. So he was risking everything to cry out. And he heard the Pharisees say, rebuke him, tell him to be quiet. They could have stripped his garment, thrown him outside the city, took everything away from him, stoned him. But still, when they said be quiet, he says he cried out all the more louder. So what will you do? Because what's on, in, what's on the inside of you determines if you stop Jesus or not. What's on the inside of you? And Jesus stands still, and he says, go get him. Bring him to me. And it says, when Barnabas, when they got him up off of there, that he threw off that garment. Before he ever knew that Jesus was going to heal him, he threw it off. He cast it off, the identity that he was. The thing that gave him the little bit of breadcrumbs that he got. The thing that might have got him a little piece of silver every now and then. The thing that he held on to. The thing that was his life. He was really willing to throw it off before he ever got there. What will you do? What will you throw off? What will you sacrifice to get to him? Because he knew there was something on the inside of him that says, If I can only get to Jesus, that he will heal me. The same with the woman with the issue of blood. As she crawled through the crowd, there was something on the inside of her that said, you know, I've done spent all my money for 12 long years, and this still hasn't got any better. So she got down on her belly and crawled through the crowd because there was something on the inside of her that was crying out to get to Jesus. I says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I know what will happen. I will be made whole. But what will you do? Some of you won't even come to church in the rain because it's an inconvenience. Some of you cough one time and you say, I can't go to church because I'm sick. You'll stay up all night watching TV and Netflix to the wee hours of the morning, but you won't stay in church. You're itching to get off the pew and go back out. What's on the inside of you and what will you sacrifice to see Jesus and see him move for you? It's all about what's on the inside of you. And what is on the inside? Romans 12 and 3, faith is on the inside of you. Romans 12 and 3 says, For everyone is given a measure of faith. Everyone in this place, every human being you see out in the world, there is something inside of them that has called faith that wants to cry out to Jesus. It also says in Luke 19 and 40, as Jesus goes into, he's making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And they've got the colt and they've laid the, the, the palm branches and everything on the ground. And they're going in and the disciples and everybody is praising and rejoicing and singing. And then here comes the religious Pharisees again. And says, y'all, be quiet. And Jesus says, if they be quiet, 
the rocks are going to cry out in their place. Because even creation itself knows that there's something on inside of creation that the Bible says groans at him. There's something on the inside that if we don't cry out for in church, there's going to come a time that a rock will cry out in your spot. Because even a rock knows who he is. So you've heard that old saying, you're dumber than a rock? A rock knows who Jesus is. A rock will cry out to him. So if you don't, then something else, creation, will cry out. Because there's something on the inside of the creation that God created that knows that it has to cry out. It's what's on the inside that matters. Everyone is given that measure of faith. You can say the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went in the furnace, it wasn't on the outside, it was on the inside that Jesus showed up. It's something on the inside, Daniel and the lions, then it wasn't on the outside, but it was on the inside that Jesus showed up. I was sitting out there in my yard the other day, and we've got a, a big oak tree that just sheds thousands and thousands of acorns on the ground. And I looked at them acorns. Somebody say amen when I drink this. <laughs> That's your job. Every time I pour up, you say amen because it's so quiet. But as I sat out there and put that slide of the acorns up there, John, I took a picture today, but I couldn't get it to the computer. Thousands of acorns sitting there. Thousands of acorns going to waste. But there's something on the inside. That acorn will never be an oak tree. That all them thousands and thousands that's laying there in my yard. Why? Because they didn't get buried. They didn't go down. Even though there's something on the inside of them that is very capable of producing the biggest oak tree you have ever seen, where it can cast shade, where birds and, and, and animals can come and take shelter and get under and live. Even though it's very capable of doing that, it's dying there. But there's still something on the inside of it. We've got to get down, church. Us playing surface Christians... We're sitting there dying, looking like it, looking like a Christian. They, that's an acorn, and I know it can be an oak tree, but it's sitting there dying. You're a Christian, and I know you can be a warrior because there's something on the inside of you that produces that. And it's called the measure of faith. But until you get down and, and, and die to self and die to sin and die to this world and let God do his work on your life, then you will never be that God has you intended to be. But there's something on the inside of you. What are you producing? It's what's on the inside that counts. Noah, come here. You sitting on the end of the pew. Both of these... I mean, both of these are, are, are water. Take a little sip of that one. Good stuff, ain't it? Because it's on what's on the inside that counts. Here's one, too. What? You want this one back? Yeah. 
What's wrong with that one? <laughs> you can take that with you. Thank you. Look the same. Look the same. But it's not the same. You look the part, but it's what's on the inside of you that counts. Some of you look the facade, and you've got the acre and look, but on the inside of you, you haven't died to Christ. On the inside of you, you you're not water. You're not what God intended you to be. Actually, that was vinegar in there. Inside, though, you're bitter, but you look the same. And nobody knows it until they come in contact with you. And then you show yourself. As long as you're in the church, you're good. As long as you're around your people, you're good. But the moment you get outside of that and, are, and get out into other people or in the world, you look a little different. You taste a little different. You're bitter. You're, 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 you stink. You, you're not doing Jesus any good. But because it's what's on the inside of you that counts. If, it's, if the world is on in the inside of you, then that's what you're going to display. But if God is on the inside of you, just like that bottle of water is refreshing. It's a drink. It, it refreshes you. It does what it's supposed to do. What's on the inside of you? Philip, if you can come, I'm trying to close this now. Second Kings 13 and 20. Look, thank y'all. Tells a story of some Israelites that were trying to bury a man. And we sang about this in Rattle. The story, if you want it, Rattle comes from 2 Kings 13 and 20. They were out there burying a guy, and the, the Moabites, the Moabites, this, this band of renegaders come by, and what they done was they stole and took for people. And so as these Israelites are trying to bury this guy, and they've seen these renegaders, the Moab people coming there, they just decide to throw this man's bones into any grave. But it wasn't just on any grave. It was on Elisha's bones. And when that dead man hit Elisha's bones, he came back to life because it's what's on the inside that counts. Are you bringing people back to life? Is your life bringing life to others? It's what's on the inside that counts. That water brings life. That vinegar brings a pooched up face. Sucked your lips in. It's no good, church. What's on the inside of you that counts? Hmm. This is where God was talking to me pretty good. My, my, if you see my notes, you'd say, how is he even preaching this? Men, women, young people. If I walked up to a husband, a wife, and ask you to give me your cell phone. Would you do it? Then if I ask you, would you unlock it for me? Because I can't do anything until it's unlocked. 
Or would you be ashamed of what I might see as your pastor? As long as you give it to me, I can see the, the front picture, and it's probably a picture of your wife, your kids, your grandkids, maybe your dog. Looks like a happy life. But it's what's on the inside. Are you ashamed of it? A lot of people, this is what they do. This is their life. They hand it to Jesus. Looks good on the outside, but they never let him unlock it. Because they're ashamed of what he might see. If you give it to me, would you let me look at your Google search engine and see what you've been searching? what's on the inside that counts the outside can be a beautiful picture of you and your family it's on the inside that counts it's the same way with Jesus it's what's on the inside that counts a lot of people says I've given you my life but you've never opened it up <laughs> the thing that you think that he's going to do He's not going to do. Guess what? If you give him your life, just like if I give him, if, I, if Jesus was here right now and I give it to him and unlocked it for him, he ain't even going to look in there. He's going to go right to the delete button, delete everything. He don't care. He don't care. Don't be ashamed. To give him your life and let him unlock it and say, God, here I am. Here is everything. Because guess what? That you may be thinking, he already knows. He's not even going to look, though. When you give him the password to unlock and say, God, here I am, I am yours, he's going to just delete. You are forgiven. Because he knows it's what's on the inside that counts. He just wants the relationship. If you would stand with me. Romans 10 and 9 says, All you have to do is confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your, in your heart. That's what's on the inside. Profession of faith just out of your lips. It's just like saying, here's my phone. But a profession of faith out of your heart is like, here, I'm open to you. It's what's inside. And then this was, he spoke to me also somebody he's been here the whole time why do we make it so hard because he don't care all he's worried about is what's on the inside of you he sees an acre in there dying that could be an oak tree if you would just let him have it this was a certain woman in second kings 
And she was asked the question, what do you have in your house? Her first thing was nothing. Can I tell you, nobody is nothing. For everyone is given a measure of faith. You have something on the inside of you. And then she says, there is this bottle of oil that is inside my house. God's oil represents anointing. God's oil represents faith. And everybody is given that. If you have the faith to take what's left on the inside, God will take it and fill the house. Because that's what he does here. She says, I have this one thing of oil. Elijah tells her, go out and borrow as many vessels as you can. Bring them in and shut the door. God is saying you need to find your place.